Cult Hackers and welcome to the podcast. I'm Celine, a media graduate with an interest in cults. And I'm Stephen Mather, organisational psychologist, also interested in cults. I was a member of a cult for 30 years and I'm also Celine's dad. So welcome <laughs> to the show. Awesome. And today we've got a guest with us. We've got Rachel Rain, who is an ex-member of the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God. And she is the founder and lead campaigner of Surviving Universal UK. Great. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and hopefully raise some awareness about this particular organisation. Awesome. Thank you. So, yeah, just jumping straight in. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your story? So kind of um, how you ended up involved in this organisation? Yes. So I first attended when I was 13 years old. I attended the branch in Croydon. The UCKG has branches all over the UK. And I just so happened to have joined the Croydon one because that's where I lived. So it was a regular Sunday. I had no idea that that was even a church. I mean, I'm born and bred in Croydon and I had no idea that that particular building was a church. No idea. On that particular Sunday, I was just kind of in my way into the shopping centre. And then I was approached by some members and they were kind of like, hey, we're having an event today. We're doing performances. Why don't you come in and have a look? So I didn't really have much going on. So I said, all right, sure. So I went in. Um, The performances were okay. You know, the vibe seemed all right. It seemed very energetic. There was no immediate red flags. It seemed very positive at first. But then, you know, they kind of rope you into attending multiple services. So from that initial Sunday, you know, you they take your name and your number. And I was asked to come back on back then. It used to be on a Thursday. So I was asked to come back to the other youth services they have, which is on a Thursday. So from Thursday, it was kind of like you should come on Fridays and then you should come on Saturdays and you have to come on Sundays and then Mondays and then Wednesdays. So before I knew it, I was like fully involved in this uh, UCKG lifestyle. I didn't come from a particularly religious background, never really used to go to church. I wasn't opposed to religion, but I just really wasn't involved in that world. So it was new to me, you know, it was really new. They kind of love bomb you. Well, they got kind of, they definitely do love bomb you and kind of submerge you into this world of we're your family, you know, we're so glad that you're here. You know, we can help you. We could do this, we could do that. So many promises. So when your soul just loved bombed and you're in this new environment and it's, a, you know, initially quite positive, you go along with it. You have no reason to doubt what they're saying. And that's kind of how they get you because it didn't take me long to just fully like become brainwashed by them. It probably took me, I would say a few months for me to become a show of myself. It's subtle, you know, all of those times when they get you to come to the church during the week, I think it's their opportunity to kind of groom you and coerce you and basically teach you learnt behaviour. So you start changing the way you dress, you start changing, you know, your habits, you start isolating yourself from your family. That was a really big thing for the church and that's what they continue to do. They kind of tell you, you know, oh, you know, now that you're coming to the church and you're on this walk with Christ, you know, people's going to start saying bad things about the church, mm. you know, but that's just the devil trying to use people to contaminate your faith. 
and take away your salvation don't listen to them you know they may try and say things and show you things but that means you're on the right path <laughs> you know but at the time you're thinking oh wow so this is going to get serious but looking back it's like wow these people had so much audacity that they were literally priming me mm. to be <laughs> you know to, to for the outside world to start seeing, hey, Rachel, what's going on? What's this place you're going to? Why have you done this? Why have you stopped doing that? They're literally preparing my mind mentally for when people come and start to give me sound advice. Like, that's literally what they were doing. So I first came when I was 13. By the time I was 15, I was promoted to what's called in the UCKG, Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, an assistant. Now, that role is coveted within the church. You know, an assistant is like, a really big senior position you can have in the church you're seen as a man or a woman of God someone of authority you know when you're an assistant you perform exorcisms on people uh the UCKG claims they do not perform exorcisms but I will tell you they are big on exorcisms so much so they do it every single Friday <laughs> it's literally dedicated to exorcism exorcism Friday um I, I want to come back to that um and, and get into that in a bit more detail um because it's something that i've i've heard about so yeah but um for my first re response rachel is um you know if you were to write a book about how to be a cult i mean that that's all there isn't it that's yeah. that's basically chapter one yeah. of how to how to get somebody drag somebody into this sort of organization it's, it's all there the love bombing the mm -hmm. isolation the preparing for the the inevitable kickback from friends and family um yeah it's 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 absolutely classic cult behavior and it doesn't is. it sound very similar to that? <laughs> it's scary it really is i mean yeah. apart from the exorcism stuff um and and i have to say the performance stuff so I, I was interested in what what the performances were that interested you what what was that what was it that you were watching when you went in that first instance so what they do is they always center events and performances around quite dark, negative things. Mm -hmm. Looking back and even looking at them now, they never do anything positive. It's always targeted towards vulnerable people. So they'll have events and plays, not about anything positive, about, you know, your walk with God or anything nice. It's always about self-harm, suicide rape, gang life, gangs, drugs. It's literally all negative. So that's all we were seeing, literally every single performance they do. And I can't believe I'm just clocking onto this now. It's actually true. Oh my God. Everything they do is just so negative and it's so targeted towards vulnerable people. So that's literally all the plays were. It was all about literally self-harm, gangs, prostitution, everything dark, nothing positive, you know? So they're like little plays, were they, where people would act out various sort of scripts. They would actually, it was a scripted play on the yeah. stage, I'm guessing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, literally it was scripted. And there was even plays where, you know, some of us would have to play demons, come in to make the person commit self-harm. Like it was oh, graphic no. and it was very just, it's very bizarre looking back at it now, my mm. goodness. Tell us um, your reflections of this. So, um, the 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 world um that the worldly people are seen as dangerous aren't they in these sorts of groups certainly from my experience there were you know you had to stay away from the world because it was all dangerous i guess these these performances are trying to reinforce that idea that the world is a really dangerous place and this is the only place you can be safe 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those plays were targeted towards kind of targeting vulnerable people who they get because they're because they're constantly losing members. You know, people mm-hmm. are constantly like, actually, the same for me. It's a revolving door. So they try and always recruit new people in. And when they get them in, they try to do these really quite graphic, hard hitting things to try and really appeal to their vulnerabilities. You know, that's literally the way they do it. And I suppose in a way it does serve as a warning and we can get into that because they do make direct threats and tell us in graphic detail what would happen if we were ever to leave the church, you know? Um, in terms of, you know, hopping back onto your story. So you say you um, at 15 um, get this sort of promotion within the group um, and you start having these like more responsibilities at this point, were you still really bought in and you were excited about it or was it quite intense? Like, what was your kind of feelings at that point? So by that point, between the time of me being 13 and 15, I was fully submerged into UCKG Live. So I was attending church basically every day after school. I was participating in all the events. I was given my tithe. Like, literally, they teach tithe in a way where if you found one pound on the floor, you have to take 10p from that pound, put it in your tithe envelope and give it Mm -hmm. to church to avoid, (laughs) you know, a demon descending on your life and making you lose your job and making you lose everything, you know. So by the time I was 15, I was like fully submerged in it. And I was like, for me, being an assistant was like the greatest thing in the world. You know, education became tasteless. Uh, mm-hmm. Outside life, you know, boy, I didn't think about anything but becoming an assistant, you know, because that's the kind of hierarchy they put in place and they make it like, you know, that's what you have to be. You have to be an assistant, a woman mm-hmm. of good. So for me, it was like the ultimate goal. It's like, wow, then I'll be able to, you know, help the work of God to grow. And, you know, mm-hmm. the other side is they have an assistance uniform. Every single UCKG in the world has a particular assistance uniform. And I paid over £300 for my uniform. And you're expected mm-hmm. to buy it and wear it. If mm-hmm. you don't buy the assistant uniform, then you simply can't assist because you're mm-hmm. seen as being not a good testimony. It's like, how could you not afford to buy your assistant uniform? That's your armor. You couldn't have a sash or anything like that. That wouldn't do. <laughs> no, that wouldn't do. Not for them. You have to buy the, the silly <laughs> assistant uniform. And I remember it. Oh, my God. It's actually like a ripoff from a well-known airline. It's literally an air stewardess uniform. You know, it's the skirt, it's the little silly tie, the necktie, it's the waistcoat, the little belt. They literally rip off airlines, like it's ridiculous. But yeah, when I was 15 years old, I begged my mom. I I was like, mom, I really have to do this. Like, you can't impede me from doing the work of God. (laughs) But in my mom's eyes, and that's another thing, they're just so cunning with it. Because my mom, she always kind of had her edge about the church. She never attended evil. But in her eyes, you know, it's a church. At least she's at church. At least she's not in gangs or at boys' houses. She's at church. So Mm -hmm. if she's begging me for this money to get the silly assistant uniform, I'm going to find the money and I'm going to buy it for her. And she actually did. Looking back, I am surprised because I would not do that for my kid. Like, we all just can't get out of here. You're 15 years old. Like, why did you buy it? But my mom, bless her, she actually did give me the money. And I remember going to the headquarters in Finsbury Park and ordering my uniform and paying. And I was just, like, over the moon. Like, I am going to be an assistant. You know? It was crazy. I was, like, 100% in. I had no idea what was going to come with that and what came with that it was literally like a full-time job assistants in the UK and in the UCKG they're not paid 
You know, it's completely voluntary. You don't get reimbursement. You don't get travel expenses, lunch, nothing. You are expected to essentially give free labor because the assistants provide everything for the church. They will buy stationery. They will buy the bread and the grape juice for the Lord's Supper. They buy the oil. You know, the UCKD, they're really big on giving oil, holy oil. And holy water and holy salt and all of these different things but what a lot of the members don't know is that the assistants had to put money together to go to Lidl or Audi to buy <laughs> that holy oil <laughs> and we have to go and put it in all the bottles you know that all comes from the assistants that doesn't come from the UCKG's bank account you know the assistants of the UCKG are basically the church's credit card you know anything the church needs oh assistants we need to buy this put money together we need to buy that and that's really significant because the UCKG makes on average 12 million pounds a year in the UK. Fact, it's on the Charity Commissioner's website. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was, um, I suppose, and it's something Salim pointed out, the, um, uh, the, the, the reaching out for, for more responsibility is something that I recognise. Um, interesting, I suppose, one thing that you have to say is in my um old group the jehovah's witnesses x group um women just didn't have that opportunity at all so um only men could uh, or males and, and again sometimes it would be very young boys really in their teens um but they could reach out for greater um responsibility like um becoming what's called a ministerial servant so for that you would um be in charge of various different functions in in the hall and so on um but it there was this feeling that you you could you know make yourself something so something to reach out for and and i guess that's again one of the the attractions isn't it it's one of the things that you can um you can aim for and then once you've reached it obviously there's a heck of a lot of work involved um yeah. but um but yeah there is a, an element of esteem that's one of the things that as human beings we all want to feel uh worth something don't we we want to feel that we're valued and and that and they know that that these groups exactly yeah 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 and that's interesting because they they know that so well that they dangle it in front of you and you jump through all of these hoops to get that position and then as soon as you do something that they disagree with they take it away and then it's like jump through the hoops again and then you jump through the yeah. okay here's your uniform yeah. you did this okay give your uniform back and some people they are constantly in a position out of a position and in a like literally up and down and looking back that is a way to control the person because they you're really- basically literally and they make it as if life outside of the church isn't important you know they literally yeah. encourage people to drop out of uni i had one survivor who was going to go to law school not law school, sorry, medical school. And then the pastor literally said, you know, you can't go to medical school. It's going to take you away from the work of God. I'm going to pray to ensure that God blocks you from getting into medical school. And then she told me, she said, look, I didn't get into medical school, you know, and I blame myself. Was it me? Was it the prayer? Like, how could that happen? You know, they literally dumb down everything outside of the church and make it so that the church is your life. Mm -hmm. Because the church was my life. I had no life outside of the church. I had no friends, no social life, nothing going for me at all. You know, it all became about the church and they loved it. Could I could I ask you um, a bit about the theology and the belief systems? Um, I'm personally quite fascinated in, in 
these different belief systems. So um, tell us a bit about what you were taught about. Obviously, it's, um, I mean, it's described as a sort of evangelical group. Um, but do you want to tell us what, what the, the beliefs are around the Bible and uh, the future and all of that sort of thing? What, what were you told? Sure. So it's very much so an apocalyptic church. So they're heavy on Jesus is coming back any minute. We have to get ready. You know, nothing else matters. We have to save souls. Otherwise, people's going to burn in hell. So that's a really big part of the I say UCKG ideology. Um, They're also very big on demons. They're big on demons. They're obsessed with demons. You know, they speak more about demons than they ever would angels. (laughs) You know, they're really big on it. And deliverance which we know is exorcisms they're very big on you know delivering people from evil spirits they believe that evil spirits are responsible for basically everything you know if you can't get a job it's an evil spirit if you identify as someone who is from the lgbtq community evil spirit if you have mental health issues evil spirit if you don't want to come to church anymore evil spirit literally everything is just so demonized so that's a really part of it and of course there's the prosperity preaching very big on that everything comes at a price you know even the holy spirit they last year they had a it's called a campaign of israel i'm sure you might want to get into that later but that's basically where they push members twice a year to make really big financial sacrifices in order to receive some kind of miracle and last year uh, december it was actually targeted towards the holy spirit and they were saying you know give your all sacrifice your all to become a child of god mm. so they were literally selling salvation it's crazy um, but this is not, not this is not out of the ordinary in the UCKG. In the UCKG, you're taught and you're conditioned to give a sacrifice, a financial sacrifice, anytime you need something from God. You know, you have to pay your way into it. You have to buy your way. You have to give. So I would say those are the main kind of thing. Yeah, if I was to sum up the UCKG, I would say those are the really big belief systems. And also the Holy Spirit, I suppose. But it's a double-edged sword because you would think when I say Holy Spirit, it would be a positive thing. Actually, I think in the UCKG is quite a negative thing because they believe that you can easily lose the Holy Spirit. You know, first of all, to receive the Holy Spirit, you need to like go through their checklist. Basically, you have to be baptized in the church. You have to speak in tongues the way they say. You have to dress a certain way. You have to be part of a certain group. You have to be delivered from demons. You have to basically hit these uh, thresholds in order for them to kind of essentially approve you of the Holy Spirit. Because you can go to them and say, yeah, I received the Holy Spirit last night in my room. And they'll be like, no, you don't. Look at your jeans. You're wearing ripped jeans. (laughs) You can't have the Holy Spirit. So they basically control that, you know, everything they do is just control, control. So, yeah, those are the main things right. okay. that you see believes in. So let, let me um, just sort of summarise for myself. So there's a, there's a belief that um, the apocalypse is coming anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so that's very much, I recognise that one. Um, what And um, at the apocalypse, Jesus is coming. And what, what's going to happen after the apocalypse? So all of the people who comes to the church is going to be saved, of course, if they follow all the rules and they're essentially perfect, they're going to be saved. So they're going to disappear in a flash. They'll go to heaven. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone who doesn't go to the UCKG is going to burn in hell. Okay. So literal hell. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a literal burning hell. 
yep. where where people who don't follow the uh, the church are going to die. Yeah, are going to live in this in this burning torment. Yep, literally. Okay. Um, so tell us, um, could you tell us a bit about um, Exorcism Friday? Because that that's um, so th- these things called strong prayers, um, I believe, is is part of that. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So they do it every Friday. So every day of the week, they have different services targeted towards different problems. Mm. And it's always been this way. They always do it because in their mind, somebody has to fall into one of these categories. So that means we're always going to have people come into services. And within those services, literally every day, Monday to Friday, there's four services a day. You know, so Monday will be for financial life and immigration issues. Uh, that's Monday. So Tuesday would be for healing. Wednesdays will be seeking the Holy Spirit and youth group. Thursdays will be prayers for love, life and family. And Fridays is dedicated to deliverance, which they call, which we know is actually exorcisms. So in the UCKG, um, a typical Friday service would entail, well, before the service, what normally happens is the assistants and pastors were ordered to kind of go around the congregation and sit down with people and have a one-to-one with them. And what we was asked to do was to basically find out their biggest problem. So I had to sit down and be like, hey, so what's your biggest problem? What do you really need God to deliver you from? And then, you know, because you're in such a position of trust and power in the church, most of the time people became instantly vulnerable. And they were like, I have immigration problems. I can't sleep at night. I have family issues. You know, they would open up really fast and tell you their deepest, darkest issues and problems and secrets. So then it'll be like, okay, so God's going to deliver you tonight. So what happens then is most of the time, you know, that's never confidential, by the way, they would always kind of, the pastors would always grill assistance about people's issues. And they'll be like, oh, so what's Alexandra going through? What's his problem? Why is he not converting? And Mm. the person would say, oh, he has issues with masturbation, pastor. (laughs) You know, so nothing's (laughs) confidential, nothing. Mm -hmm. So during the uh, Friday services now, there would be a quick message and then it will go into the ritual and I say ritual because it really is a ritual because no matter where you go in the world a strong prayer is always going to be in the same way it's literally going to be the same way down to a T they have it so refined refined sorry and down to a T where it would go like well the pastor would um turn the music off so it'll be really silent he'll be on the microphone and then he'll be like everybody close your eyes and put your hands on your heart and then everyone would do it. And then the church would fall dead silent. And then they'll be like, the demon that's inside of these people manifest. <laughs> that will be like the first thing. And then um, at that point, it becomes a scene. It's crazy. You know, people would start crying. And then the assistants and pastors would go around the room and basically lay hands on people. And then the person who you spoke to will most probably come back to you and lay hands and say, right, so the demon that's causing her to have immigration problems, manifest yourself, show yourself. And then they whisper in your ear. So they have one hand on your head and one hand behind your back. And they get really close and they whisper in your ear. And then they say things like, you know, the demon that's making her heart beat faster. You're making her arms to be sweaty. She's feeling hot now. She's feeling really scared and frustrated. Yes, I know you're there. Show yourself. So psychologically thinking, you know, psychologically speaking, 
you're like, oh my God, my heart is beating fast. That must be the demon. So I must really have a demon. Yeah, well, the whole yeah. time, it's not a demon. It's just that you're in a really strange environment and this lady is like whispering your biggest issues in your in your ears. I mean, it's not rocket yeah. science. No, no. <laughs> it's crazy. So then um, as they go along, so they really kind of go in with it. So then if it's like, if you don't show a reaction to that, then they'll go to something else and be like, oh, the demon that's causing her to not take her faith seriously. Yes, you make her not want to come to church anymore. Manifest, show yourself. So I suppose after a while, you know, going through that, you kind of do give in because they do kind of push your head back and make you lose balance. And then they're like, yes, manifest. And then because you hear so much kind of chaos going around of you, it's like you're put into a really weird trance and you go along with it. You know, they're saying all these things, they're illustrating, and you somehow just go along with it. And then by, by the time you know it, you're rolling around on the floor with them. They put you in a headlock to control the demon that's inside of you. Um, oftentimes what they would do is interview a demon. So what they'll do is if the pastor notices that someone's manifesting, as they call it, particularly strong, they would uh, bring the person up onto the altar and interview the demon and literally it will be the pastor saying things like yes demon so what are you causing in her life and then oftentimes oh you'll hear the person say oh yes i caused her to to sell her body as we heard in the youth night vigil because recently the uckg had a youth night vigil and um because of the movement they asked all of the under 18s to leave because i let them know that anyhow we heard that they was looking to perform this on minors we were going to send them the police and they clearly did not want to get arrested so this year they obeyed our commands <laughs> and they right. said so this is this is part of your activism to to stop um underage children really being yeah. exposed to this sort of thing exactly exactly thank you thank you i'm really proud of it you know because a lot of young people were spared the trauma so literally in that night vigil uh, we heard that there was a girl manifesting um she was obviously young to be in the youth group but not younger than 18 obviously and apparently she was the demon inside of her quotation marks was saying that she was the demon responsible for making her a prostitute and making her addicted to cocaine you know and this was said in front of hundreds of young people you know this girl's issues I mean I have no idea if it's true or not I don't know I mean I'm pretty sure that it probably wasn't a demon talking because I'm pretty sure demons don't give interviews to pastors but um you know it's crazy I can't imagine how embarrassed and and, and naked she must have felt you know but that's yeah. normal in the UCKG they love doing that you know, they love interviewing a so-called demon and exposing the person's problems in order to get shock value and kind of scare the rest of the church. And also, I think it's learnt behaviour because you're groomed into it. You know, it, you don't do it normally at first. You're groomed into doing it. It's learnt behaviour. You learn to speak like a demon, you know, as they do when they're being interviewed. You learn to scream and to growl and to roll. You learn it. Because you're conscious when you're doing it. You know, when you're doing it, you you know that you're punching or you're kicking or you're rolling, but it's like you are coerced into it. I mean, it's just so weird to understand even now how they were able to do that. But it's definitely, I think, some kind of weird trance because it's just, yeah, it's crazy. It literally is like a scene from a movie. And to think they came out publicly 
three times now and said that they do not perform exorcisms. The fact that they have it on their website that they do not perform exorcisms is just insane to me because I would love to know what they do on Fridays if it's not an exorcism. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a really, you, you painted a really um, shocking picture there. I mean, that's, it's, um, yeah, that's that's very, very strange. What, what are your reflections on that, Celine? That's, that's something I've never really heard before. No, I mean, yeah, I think the, the the main takeaway I'm thinking there is really impressed again with your, you know, kind of protecting the younger, like under 18s from that with what you've done there. Because, yeah, that's one of the notes I wrote down was going to ask you, you know, what should we be doing for like kids that are in these groups? So you're already not just like having ideas about it, you're going out and doing something about it. So like, that's the first thing, the first thing I think clicked on to because I was just like yeah that's really great work that you're doing um if, if you were kind of 15 when you were um in in that environment I guess you know how damaging and like difficult that can be so yeah really well done for um, thank you you know stopping that for some people <laughs> thank you you know my aim is to stop it period I mean these mm-hmm. things are performed on people with mental health issues people mm-hmm. who are in crisis people yeah. who really need not to be told that they're demon possessed you know but because of the UCKG's harmful ideology they do it with all their might. you know mm-hmm. it's just so heartbreaking to know that every Friday and pretty much whenever they want because it's not limited to Fridays mm-hmm. they do it whenever they feel like mm-hmm. it you know, and they say that they no longer pray for, um, it used to be 16, but because of the movement, I think they raised it to 18 now, which is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we know that they still perform it on children because I have teenagers messaging me saying that they receive it mm-hmm. on Fridays. Mm-hmm. You know, they may say, oh, we don't do it under minors. You know, minors leave the room. But if they feel like laying their hands on a child to cast out a demon, they will do it. You know, and it's just absolutely horrific. It really is. It's dehumanizing. It's violent. It's painful. You know, many survivors can confirm this of me. You are left physically bruised and hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, your your shoulders would be aching. I mean, I after a Friday service, I was battered and bruised. You know, it's not out of the ordinary to have your clothes ripped, hair all disheveled. It's like a full on fight. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's so harmful in just so many ways. Mm. Yeah. But there's, they don't do it, though. According to them, they don't do it. <laughs> there's something about normalising sort of inappropriate physical contact as well, isn't there? And I've heard this before in other in mm-hmm. other groups that practice similar things. There's there's a, a willingness to accept things that you wouldn't accept in any other situation, really. <laughs> I was raised in a cult. Of course, if you'd have asked me all those years ago or anyone else in our small fundamentalist church if we were a cult, we'd have indignantly replied, absolutely not. Other groups like the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're cults, but we're not a cult. Everything became normalized, though, but it wasn't until decades later, after I deconstructed my entire belief system and walked away from the Christian faith entirely, that I began to see just how cultish the whole thing actually was. But before all of that, for over 20 years, I'd served both as a pastor and a Bible college teacher, so I had a hand in it, furthering the toxicity also. So in the process of rebuilding my life and discovering my authentic identity, I've got lots to work through, things like religious trauma syndrome, rapture anxiety, and just so much more. 
Join me, Dr. Clint Haycock, on the MindShift podcast as we take a look at such topics as cult tactics and psychology, religious trauma syndrome and religious addiction, taking your life back after leaving a cult or high-control group, and finally, dominion theology and the dangers posed by the Christian right not just in America, but indeed the world. You can find my show on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Who knows, it might just be time for a MindShift. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just £1 or $1.50 and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some court hacking you've been involved in, or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to courthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our court hackers. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. You know, obviously this all kind of amps up slowly. Like you said, this wasn't the first thing that starts happening when you start joining, right? So it goes from like plays up till you know you're at this point where you're experiencing and and seeing this happening with others as well um is there a is that is that what added towards your point of you know kind of coming out of this group because obviously we're talking about it now as a reflection was this part of um what helped you in terms of coming out because this was so intense or you know what was the kind of like journey as with this point for you (laughs) Well, the horrific thing was that's where it started. I mean, that's literally at this point, there was no kind of doubt in my mind about the church. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was the years that followed. So when I was an assistant um, at 15, by the time I was 19, um, I got married in the church. Mm-hmm. I got married to a, a fellow assistant at the time. And that is just ridiculously young. I mean, in the church, in UCKG years, I was, you know, a fully grown adult (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I had to grow up for so young, you know, because when I was 15, I was already an assistant. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was 19, like in UCKG years, I was already like a full grown woman ready for a husband. So um, they are really big on young people getting married. Mm -hmm. I think one of the two reasons, I think one reason is because they feel that it's a good testimony to others for there to be lots of young married couples in the church. And secondly, they say, look, you need to get married or you're going to fall into sin and go to hell. So you have three months, you know, date someone for three months. And if you're not ready to even marry them, you know, be ready to either marry them or break up with them. Like three months is your max, because if you date longer than three months, then you're going to fall into temptation. You're going to fall into sin and go to hell. So when I was 19 years old, I actually got married. And because they don't really have the power or the authority to uh, actually marry people legally, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to go through the uh, registry office. So I got married in the registry office and then I had my official church wedding in the church I mean by that point I started to have my doubts I really really did start to have my doubts and that was because in the UCKG you have no personal life you have no there's no boundaries between you and the church authorities you are expected to tell them everything about your life and when I say everything I mean everything like if you had a lustful thought last night you have to tell pastor you have to confess 
you have to do it if you had a glass of wine you have to confess you have to tell pastor so um when I got married legally, I thought in my mind, hey, I'm married now. Let's consummate our marriage, you know, mm-hmm. as you do when you get married. So in my mind, it was no mm-hmm. big deal because that's my husband. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the next day <laughs> I was interrogated by the pastor's wife and she was like, so what happened last night? Did you do anything? And then I was like, um, yeah, you know, thinking, why? What's mm-hmm. the seriousness about what's going on here? And she was like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh, good. Mm-hmm. And the next day I received a phone call from her husband. So in every UCKG, there's two pastors. There's a senior pastor and his wife and a youth pastor. So when you're an assistant, you generally have to answer to the senior pastor. So the senior pastor, whose wife I spoke to, called me and said, um, Pastor wants to see you in Finsbury Park tomorrow. And I was like, oh, damn, because it's never a good sign when you are okay. summoned to the headquarters for a dressing down and you know you're going to get it. Okay. <laughs> and um, I was summoned by myself. So I wasn't even summoned with my husband. I didn't go with my husband at the time. I literally went there with my tails between my legs thinking what on earth is going to happen. So remember, I was 19 years old at the time. I was a teenager, <laughs> you know, essentially <laughs> So I went there, um, we went into the room, a private room, and he was like, what happened? And I told him, I was you know, I can't believe that I actually told the guy what I did, like this random stranger. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have slapped them now. I mean, how dare you? Like, mm-hmm. how dare you get involved yeah. in my personal life? But at a time, you don't think twice because mm-hmm. they literally coerce you into giving it all up you're constantly exposed yeah. and vulnerable and that's how they like it mm. so um essentially he called me a bit of a slag and mm. said that I did wrong I committed a grave sin I'm not well spiritually I did a very bad thing and I'm not going to wear my uniform anymore now in the UCKG it's called being put to sit down that's mm. what it's called to be demoted and that's mm. seen as like the worst taboo because once you are no longer standing in services, holding the offering bag in your uniform, you're ostracized. And you're basically, it's like you have a scarlet letter on your head. You're basically classed as someone who definitely fell into sin. So for me, that was a major blow. I felt betrayed. I felt vulnerable. I felt confused. Because in my mind, you know, we're married. You know, we were with your husband. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was married at the time, but yet I'm having like the worst thing that could possibly mm-hmm. happen to me, happen to me. And that knocked me back. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. really made me be like, okay, wow, like this is how it is. So when that happened, I mean, I would say around that time, that's when I started having doubts because uh, things like the campaign of Israel, you know, having to sell everything because it got to a point, everything's a routine, right? So they always do the same thing at the same point. Just to um, interrupt you there. So the campaign of Israel, um, this is is the thing you were referring to earlier about the special time when when people are encouraged to give more money. Is that that right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So this is in addition to the the tithing that mm. is done all of the time, mm-hmm. which is what ten percent of of your any income you get. Ten percent of your gross income. Of your gross income, and then on top of that, you're expected to do these things. What did you say twice a year? 
Yeah, no, this was on top of everything else. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. tithe is just like the foundation. So tithe is like a given. But in every single service, they ask for offering. And you have to give right. your offering. And they always do these things called purposes of faith where they have a special envelope for a special purpose. So they may be like, okay, so take this rose and put it in your house and give a special offering to God for him to bless your house, you know, something random like that. Mm. So there's always something going on where you're having to give money. But with the campaign of Israel, they just completely take it up by a hundred. And they're like, you know, in that event, people sell things, they take out loans, um, they literally sell possessions. I've had people saying that they sold their TVs, they sold their wedding rings, they cleared out their bank account, gave life savings, inheritance, student loan. You are encouraged to give everything. And people really did give everything. And some people were left homeless. Mm-hmm. Some people were left, you know, separated from their family, from their loved ones, because they cleared out their bank account without their husband even knowing. And the irony is they probably cleared out their bank account in order for their husband to come to the church because that's their miracle that they wanted. Uh, you know, it's really right. extreme stuff. And that's so twice. You, yeah. I was going to ask you the motivation for doing that, why people would do that. So it's linked to them getting something they want, is it? Exactly. So yeah. it's twice a year. So every, uh, it's so messed up the time they do it as well, because it's always during, one is during the summer holidays and the other one's during Christmas time. Mm. So these are the times when they know people need that extra money. You know, people in the UCKG, you don't tend to, you don't really tend to go on holiday anyway. They discourage you going on holiday unless you're going to a place that has a UCKG that you can visit. But you know, Christmas time, you know, why would they why would they do that during Christmas time? You know, why would they make it so that you're literally broke during Christmas time? It's just so incredibly cruel. You know, and people would literally do it and they would have testimonies of people doing these insane things. And all of the testimonies are the same. It's like, yeah, you know, I wanted to challenge God. So I sold everything. I gave my all. I I gave my salary. I sold my car. And, you know, it happened. I got the job of my dreams. All thanks to the campaign of Israel. Like it's all literally the same. It makes me gag now because they're all literally the same. They're all the same testimonies. And even those testimonies, they're coerced. Mm-hmm. You know, the pastor will be like, okay, stop what? You know, did you did you take part in this purpose? Did you give this? Like they coerce even the very testimonies people give and put things in there and embellish things to make your life seem so much more worse than what it was before you came to the church. Mm-hmm. I know they did that with me. Me. I'm, I know that I'm going off topic, forgive me, but they literally made my life out to be so bad before I came to the church. And looking back, my life really wasn't bad. Like no one's life's perfect. But when they used to cart me around giving my testimony, because at one point I was literally the poster girl of the BYG, mm. the youth ministry of the whole of the UK. I literally went on tours and I went to different branches. Looking back, the things I used to say simply wasn't true. But you're encouraged to make things sound 10 times worse so that, you know, when you came to the church, you know, you was rescued, you know, as if the UCKG is your savior. And that's so common. You know, they do that all the time. Yeah, that's that's again, that's typical tactics that the <laughs> um, the social proof that they get from people um 
giving these personal experience and personal testimonies, you know, they are effective. Unfortunately, people are taken in by them, aren't they? And it's, it's a classic tactic, even with um, selling goods on, on the, on the internet or on television, you know, I use this product and it really helped me and people <laughs> accept it, don't they? They buy it, unfortunately. It's literally yeah. a marketing tactic, really. Yeah. It really, really is. That's literally what they do. It's crazy. And yeah. a lot of the time, they don't even really mention God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they mention the church. The church is their saviour. It's so bizarre. So, I mean, just thinking about, so, you know, you kind of talked about um, yourself and obviously all, all the others going through this as well, but, like, you've given so much. So, you know, you've given literal money, um, your time you know so much of your time um and just so much of your energy and just your everything um and then they come and slap you in the face with you know um taking away like you know your your position in the group and all of this um for something that sounds like then you know completely feels arbitrary you know you thought you'd done everything right um so and then they come in you know you've done everything right and more you know and then they've come in and said no actually and and slapped you in the face I mean is like how how yeah how do you cope with that you feel like you've done everything right (laughs) you know I didn't cope I was Mm -hmm. in turmoil because Mm -hmm. this is a church that condemns you for having bad eyes it's the classic cult move you're not allowed to question the work of God or the men or the women of God you don't do that you don't have evil eyes, which is bad thoughts. You're not even allowed to mm. think negatively, let alone say things negatively or rebel against the authority. So I was like, I was really depressed in the last two years of being in the church. I was so depressed because it's like my innermost being knew that it wasn't right. I knew it, you know, my stomach turned every time they mentioned the campaign of Israel or blasted fundraising which <laughs> is a whole other thing you know my stomach used to turn it's like my being rejected them but because of the conditioning and the brainwashing it's like I was constantly in battle you know constantly trying to not doubt because they have this thing doubt the doubts literally mm-hmm. they're like whenever you have doubts about the church doubt those doubts and it's like I was constantly like in a circle and it was driving me mad it was making me feel depressed there was an element of you know, uh, depression and fear because of my family, because at the same time I was like, but my family don't come to the church, they're gonna die, you know, and go to hell at some point. And I'm responsible because I didn't bring them to the church. And what if I leave, then they'll never know. So there was all of these things. I was so depressed looking back, like so depressed. So when I got demoted, that was like the final nail in the coffin. That was like the low blow, because now I didn't have the position to hide behind. I was just Rachel. You know, I wasn't assistant Rachel or Miss Rachel. You know, they're so big on ego that, you know, the assistants and everything, God forbid you call an assistant by their name. You know, that's assistant so-and-so. That's Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. So to suddenly become Rachel or, you know, it, it really did give me a lot of space to kind of evaluate. It was hard. It was crazy. I mean, those last two years. And also because I was married towards, you know, that last kind of year, mm-hmm. there was this thing of, okay, my husband's going to divorce me. Because in the church, they teach that it's okay to get divorced if your spouse leaves the faith, you know? So at the same time, I was like, oh my God, my husband's going to leave me. Like, what am I going to do? You know, so there was just so many things going on. But at the same time, a part of me was yawning for freedom. Like, I I couldn't breathe. 
-hmm. you know it disgusted me I started to decline in terms of my attendance so that's the first sign of you wanting to leave an organization like that you start to cut back on attendance and only attend just to not raise suspicion so you'll still go on Sundays I mean in my case I would always attend the earlier service earlier service on a Sunday to kind of run off and go home and not kind of be around all day so those are the telltale signs and that's what I started to do I started to really cut back I didn't go on Mondays anymore Wednesdays and Friday you know Sundays were kind of my last days and by the end of it it's like yeah I need to just leave because I knew that when I leave I would literally be ostracized I knew that I would leave with no friends no social life they would all block me and cut me off as they were told to do because you're told that if anyone leaves the church especially when there was an assistant or a pastor delete them off Facebook no contact they will contaminate your face so I knew what I was in for because I was taught that you know, yep. so it took a lot of kind of, it got to a point where I was prepared to lose it all. Mm-hmm. Like, get me the hell out of here. Like, I cannot take another envelope. I'm not interested. And that day when I decided to go for the last time, I can't remember what service it was. It was probably a Sunday service. I said, that's it now. Cold turkey. I'm never going back there. Right. And I've never been back. And I couldn't be happier. That is literally the best decision I yeah. ever made oh my goodness because I lost my teenage years to the UCKG I had no teenage years whilst yeah. the other teens were going to uni and enjoying their life I was too busy getting married and saving people from hell mm-hmm. and performing exorcisms <laughs> you know I had no teenage life but imagine mm-hmm. if I stayed from my 20s and 30s and 40s so I'm just so glad I left when I did mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah T- tell us about that I-, I remember that the moment when I realized I was leaving um you know you go through all that turmoil that turmoil that that you do um and at some point i think for most many of us anyway um there's a moment when you realize you've you've kind of mentally done it you've actually done it you've now left what did that feel like oh it was really conflicting because remember they teach you that when you leave the church bad things are going to happen to you Mm. okay you know, and we were pretty much traumatized with this. They mm. would show videos and pictures of just awful things that happened to people who left. You know, there was uh, two videos that I recall, well, pictures, sorry. And one of the pictures was a bishop and he left the church and he was involved in some kind of road af- accident and he was on the floor dead as anything, poor thing. You know, his heart was outside of his body, really graphic pictures. And they would show it in assistance meetings and in services and be like, you see, he was once on this altar preaching the word of God, but then he left the church. And now look at him. Look at him there. That could be you. And then they would say things like, you know, the demons that were casted out of you in the church. When you leave the church, they're going to be waiting by the door and they're going to come back into your life. You know, they'll be like, when you leave the church, if you were to get hit by a bus, and die where would your soul go you know so they would do so many things to put so much fear inside of you so when I left I was literally like you know like um it literally felt like this it felt like final destination you know final destination where you're just waiting for something to happen (laughs) that's literally how it felt I was like looking both ways like oh my god something bad's gonna happen like literally that's the way I felt but nothing bad happened (laughs) I lived (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I think um I, I don't know if you'll kind of um 
connect with this as well but i know for the like xjw um, community there's like some terms used for when like you're at different phases of leaving so there's like or um or just like your mental situation so there's like physically out mentally in so like promi so when you're like you physically left but mentally you're still kind of like believing some of that stuff so i guess it's like yeah when you're in that there's a lot of people that have yeah said they've left because they mentally like mental health wise they just can't cope anymore like you get to a breaking point but still kind of bought into some of that belief system and I guess yeah hopefully I hope every anyone that's pro me eventually just is mentally out as well and you can yeah come out the other side and like you said you're okay <laughs> and and you realize that you will be okay um yeah yeah was so that was would you say that was kind of your experience as well then you're kind of still mentally in for a little bit even though you physically got out Definitely, because they condition every single facet of your mind. You know, they literally brainwash you in every sense of the word. They change the way you see things. You don't see things like a normal person anymore. Mm. You see things as black and white, heaven or hell. You know, if I do this, I'm going to go to heaven. Or if I do that, I'm going to go to hell. You're literally so programmed. So when you leave, you definitely still have a lot of those things. And I think a lot of it is about unlearning what you've learned So it's about re-educating yourself and saying, actually, I won't go to hell if I have that glass of wine. You know, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not hurting myself. Maybe I could do it. I'm maybe not going to go to hell if I listen to that Rihanna song. (laughs) You know, you start to kind of test things. And as you go along, you start to get your confidence and you start to become, you know, you start to get your power back and your life back. And then before you know it, you know, you've washed away all of that conditioning and you're who you really are. And a lot of the times that's the polar opposite of who you were before in the church, because who you were in the church is not the real you. That's the version that they made you create of yourself, which is like this super conservative, idealistic uh, carbon copy of them. You know, because even a really weird thing about the UCKG, and this is something that I know happens around the globe, you literally start to speak like the UCKG pastors. And you start to have this really weird, like, Brazilian twang, because, you know, it's a Brazilian church. So you literally start speaking like them and doing the same kind of hand gestures. And it's funny, on um, Surviving Universal UK, on our Instagram page, I recently put out a post asking people, you know, what, some words or phrases that trigger you and there's over a hundred comments now of people kind of sharing the little terminologies and things that still trigger them until this day and there's so many of them you know they literally control everything the way you dress there was a no-no list um for girls to follow and on that no-no list it was no phones you're not allowed to wear phones you're not allowed to wear certain color nail polish you have to wear, you know, a dress or a skirt to services. You're not allowed to be friends with people who don't come to the church. You're not allowed to hug boys. Like there was literally like a whole list that told you everything you're not allowed to do. And grown people, even married people were expected to follow that. You know, it was just so controlling. Oh my goodness. Like it's it's weird. I tell you, it's really weird. The way that they just control people and literally turn them into this idealistic version of who they want you to be it's crazy it really is mad you know surely everyone can't be the same like that surely you know there's no sense of um what's it called um individuality they want conformity Mm -hmm. unity that's literally what they want and that's what they achieve 
Yeah, and that is, again, that's very typical and, and it rings a lot of bells to me. Um, so just to clarify the um, the organisation, um, so this is a, uh, it, it's, uh, we were having a chat before we started recording, uh, Rachel, weren't we? And, and I, I, ha- I admitted that it's a group that had really gone under my radar until I checked out the, um, uh, the Guardian did a, a piece talking to you and um which is a uk newspaper for those um, different parts of the world and uh, they also did a podcast about um part of your story but also about about the group so this is a group that started in brazil um and but it is kind of worldwide yes. and according to them there's like eight million adherents is that right yes um the uckg is actually the biggest mega church in the world and right. the founder, Edo Macedo, he's actually the most wealthiest televangelist in the world. He's right. a billionaire. You know, Forbes actually did an article on him. He owns the equivalent to, I would say, Channel 4 in Brazil. He owns that. Like, he is, he owns it. You know, he owns hospitals, uh, football teams, churches, you know, the UCKG. He owns all of them. Like, he mm. is just filthy rich, this one. You know, the UCKG is huge, but I think they're able to go under a lot of people's radar because they're very inconspicuous. You know, they don't tend to have classic churches. They rent out, you know, halls and refurbish it so that inside is the same, but outside you would never really know that it's a church. And that's how they want it. You know, that's how they're able to kind of finesse the public and fundraise and do what they're doing because they typically tend to hide behind UCKG Help Centre because they're a registered charity. And when we were forced to fundraise on the streets every single December, so between October and December, they have a massive fundraising drive in which they get members to dress up in costumes, wear Christmas hats, and you have to sing and dance and make a complete fool of yourself to raise money. It's ridiculous. It's humiliated. It's tiring. It used to make me sick. But um, that's what we were told to tell the public. It's not a church. You know, they, the pastors would literally say, don't mention God or church. Say that we're fundraising for the youth group. We wasn't right. fundraising for the youth group, <laughs> you know. Uh, and you were, you were proselytised through somebody approaching you in the street. Um, yeah. Is that the way they normally do it, sort of low-key? Um, and they, I guess they're targeting people that they think might be interested. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, because that, I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. So evangelism um, is their way of basically doing recruitment. So they would target people all the time and they do target people all the time. I mean, my God, that's the that's I suppose that's another big part of the ideology. Um, They're constantly evangelizing, you know, and in their mind, even people from other churches need evangelizing. You know, they don't care if you go to your own church. If you don't come to our church, then you're not saved. Mm. So we were constantly kind of forced to bring family, bring friends to tell everyone about the church and invite everybody to the church. Um, You would often see them on a Saturday in your local high street. Um, I think these days they're a lot more low key before, you know, there'll be lots of us and we'll be all over the place and we'll be doing performances on the street, (laughs) you know, back in the days. But now, especially in the wake of the movement, they're a lot more low-key. And I'm pleased to say I hardly see them in Christian when I do go down there, they're hiding. But they are still very much big on recruitment. So it's a thing where they would um, tag you in their Instagram comments. They would um, get you on the street. They would uh, get you through your family member. 
And once they get you, the idea is to capture your data as soon as you go. So as soon as you attend the UCKG, they want your name, number, your date of birth. They even take a picture of you to go in their prayer book. Now, at the time, it seemed rational. Like, yeah, let's keep in contact so that we can keep them coming to the church and we can pray for them and all of these things. But looking back, it's like, yeah, they're collecting everyone's data and they're Mm. hoarding it. You know, they literally have all of people's information and they don't just get rid of it, you know, when the person leaves. They keep it, they hoard it, you know. So that's another way. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And this is another thing we're challenged in the morning. You know, how could it be that the ICO is letting this happen? You know, they shouldn't be allowed to be hoarding people's data. Um, when you even ask them to remove your data, even that's a fight because they tell you you have to register on this website and you have to do this and that. So they really do try and sink their claws in. And I found, speaking to the survivors, that um, they're really big on harassment. I mean, I know this because I unfortunately used to be the harasser, you know, because every single Saturday you would have to get a list of names and numbers and you would have to call and text every single name and number every single Saturday and there would be papers like that thick like like a good two inches thick and you would have to call and text every single number and tell them you know that we're having an event or to invite them to come for the youth group you would have to constantly do this you know so that's another way that they're constantly trying to get people to come and at the time it was like okay so we're trying to save that person and we're trying to convert them and bring them to Jesus really what they're trying to do is to keep filling the holes because people Mm. keep on leaving (laughs) you know it's a revolving door as I said and it's doing stuff as in like it's that cool keep you busy thing as well isn't it so in terms of like it's it's multiple layers isn't it so yeah it's getting this recruitment and it's keeping you busy and bought in isn't it because there's no time to think and and question because you're so incredibly busy (laughs) Yeah, and it's strange that you said that because this is literally the thing. And I say it all the time, you know, they keep you busy to stop you from focusing on the fact that you're getting screwed over. Mm-hmm. You know, that and the emotional abuse. I mean, the emotional abuse was horrific. You know, you're constantly gaslit and uh, humiliated and, and and verbally abused by pastors. You know, when you didn't hit your target and bring 10 people to an event, you're humiliated and told that you're not good enough, you're not in the faith, you know, you're literally ridiculed at every turn. You know, you're never good enough. You're constantly, you know, looked with a magnifying glass. You know, you're analyzed. Everything you do, everywhere you go, you know, they control it. You know, it's literally, it's so horrific. I mean, the level of control and fear, you always have anxiety. Myself and a lot of the survivors, all we all agree that it is anxiety inducing. We were in anxiety. You know, if we weren't depressed, we were literally having panic attacks because you're constantly, you know, on edge. You know, what's the pastor going to say next? What's going to happen next? Am I going to get demoted? What's going to happen? You're constantly in a state of worry and there's no peace. You know, it was that, so bad. You, you've got the visible um, realm of your pastors and, and people telling you off, but you've also got the added um, invisible realm of demons and uh, and fear of, of hell, I guess. So, and you they, know, they know what you're thinking as well. <laughs> yes, <that laughs> yeah, no worries. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a um, lot. It was a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it sounds. Um, yeah, I, I recognise so much of it. Um, there are differences between our experiences, um, Rachel, but, you know, I, I do recognise that t- constant anxiety. Yeah. Um, 
and and um one of the things for me you said earlier about not you know feeling responsible for not bringing your family along and that was um so most of my family were already members when i was um in my ex group but um even you know Friends. we used to knock on yeah. doors um to try and bring people into the organization and you know thinking i need to do that as well as i possibly can because if i don't i'll be blood guilty um for these for these people so yeah i recognize that mm-hmm. um rachel tell us um we're, we're sort of coming to the uh, the end of our discussion i think i mean we've i feel like we could chat all night mm-hmm. to be honest but um we probably should. we won't run out of stuff to talk about I know, we wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but we must get on to what you're doing now so mm. um tell us a bit about the work that you're doing and obviously give us any after we've had our chat send us links and things like that so we can direct people but tell us anything you want to about um what you're doing and the activism that you're involved in Sure. So um, I left the church a good while ago now, uh, maybe about eight years. And initially, you know, I knew that I wanted to talk out. I knew, you know, I, I always had this sense of injustice and they continue to do what they do to other people. And, you know, over the years, you catch up with people who also left and you get talking and it's like, wow, so that happened to you too. And then you start to see the pattern. So um, around three, over three years ago now, I separated from my husband at the time because we had no business getting married in the first place. Let's face it, we'll pull it off a bit. So once that kind of reached this inevitable end, I felt like, okay, maybe now I can speak out. Because even though he left the church, he never would speak bad about the church. You know, he always had that sense of loyalty. So me speaking out publicly would have really upset him. So now that he was kind of, you know, out the door, I was like, yeah, now I'm free. Now there's nothing stopping me from putting this place on blast. I'm like, yay. So um, I was speaking to a friend who went to the same branch as I did. And we were really getting into it and talking. And we were like, no, they need to be exposed. And then I was like, hey, let's go live on Instagram. Like, let's just go live and see what happens. She's like, yeah, let's do it. So then we kind of arranged the day and we went live for the very first time. And I was bricking it. You know, it's really weird because after all of these years, I mean, this would have been in 2000, like, was it last year? 2022. Yeah, October to, October 2021 even. So um, I left all that, you know, all that time went by. But when I went live, the thing that was on my mind was, am I making myself cursed by speaking out about the church? (laughs) You know, because that was the other thing. Anyone that says anything bad about the church is automatically cursed. So that was really heavy on my mind that first initial time we went live. But, you know, we did it. And it was like, wow, I can't believe we did that. We did the unthinkable. Like we did the most worst sin, you know, imaginable. We misled all of these people from the faith, you know, like we did it. But it was liberating because for the first time on a public platform, the church was getting exposed. You know, we were talking about things that were initially unspeakable. And then we said, we used to do this again. So then we started to go live a few more times and then people started trickling through, you know, hey, I went through that too. Do you remember me? I used to attend, started trickling. And the more we went live, the more people that started speaking. And um, it really started to blow up. We had, uh, I had people come on and share their experiences. We would have conversations and people would share what they went through. 
And it grew so much so fast, we decided to take it onto other platforms. So we took it to TikTok. Um, last year, um, I posted a random video and the likes and views were just pouring in. And I was like, oh my God, is this going viral? Like, what's happening? Like, is it happening? Like, what's all these likes? I started panicking. And I'm like, oh my God, this thing is actually blowing up. What have I done? <laughs> but um, people were agreeing. You know, people from all over the world was flooding to the comments and saying, that happened to me too, that used to be my church. You know, my mom goes here, my aunt goes here. And it was just crazy. Um, so it got to a point before we went viral even, I'm like, yeah, they can't get away with this. Because when we started to really gain monumentum, the church started to go into crisis mode. Because previously they were unchallenged. You know, it, there was nothing. There was one or two small scale articles floating around, but there was nothing this in your face. This UCKG, we're on to you and we're not having it. So um, when we, you know, really started to get into it, um, someone actually sent me a recording from the youth pastor having an emergency meeting about mm -hmm. this crisis. <laughs> and I had the whole thing, you know, it's funny, it was a secret meeting, but I had the whole thing, <laughs> you know, and I had to listen to it to really hear and gauge where they was and what was going on with them. So, yeah, they was gaslighting off the typical, the typical, oh, these people are demon possessed, you know, don't listen to them. You know, it's even featured in the Guardian podcast, actually. Um, so that really kind of just made me want to do this and pursue this even more. Because initially, I really hoped that it would make them apologize and take action and maybe launch an investigation and you know, make it right. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they continue to double down on gaslighting us and demonizing us and making fun of us, you know, that was like, yeah, no, we're not having it. Mm -hmm. So um, that's when I started to be like, yeah, we need some kind of media attention. This thing needs to be covered. This church is huge. They're everywhere. They're making a mockery of the, uh, the charity sector. We need to do something. So I frantically kind of just Googled um, some investigative journalists and I was like, look, this is my story. This is what I'm doing. This is the UCKG. And luckily Maeve from The Guardian um, was the one who responded and mm -hmm. she heard of the UCKG and she decided to kind of come on this journey with me. And I worked on that investigation with Maeve for, I think, a year. Yeah, it must have been about a year. It was a really long time. And, you know, she was just building evidence and building the investigation. And, you know, survivors were constantly coming to me. So I was asking them if they would be willing to speak. And then they agreed. So I was able to kind of direct her to lots of survivors. And that incredible uh, investigation came out. And that kind of was the pinnacle of the movement that really mm -hmm. kind of helped us to come out of the sidelines and really be in the public's focus. And it was a great result. You know, a lot of people uh, became conscious of the UCKG and what's going on. And I'm just so grateful for that. And I suppose the rest is history. You know, we continue to make strives. Um, I'm really excited for the projects that we have up and coming. Um, obviously, there's a lot of media attention. People can't believe what's been going on and what's been allowed to go on. Um, we've had protests. Um, our last protest was outside of the charity commissioner. Because, of course, the organisation we're talking about, you know, it's not just like a backstreet alley don't need to answer to anyone. They are a registered charity. So our aim is for the charity commissioner to launch a statutory inquiry 
which is the most serious investigation they can launch. Because surely, for goodness sake, how can a charity be allowed to do this? You know, be allowed to just breach safeguarding issues, you know, just be allowed to abuse members and isolate them and coerce them. You know, they're just breaking every rule. Like every rule that, you know, the the Charity Commission has, they break it. They literally Mm do. So it's been a journey and we're still on the journey. But yeah, I'm really proud of what we came, where we are now. I'm really proud of all of the survivors who's finally found like, you know, they're being heard. You know, this is their community, you know, it's incredible. It really is. Mm -hmm. The level of fellowship and, you know, we're able to kind of make sense of what's happened to us because for a lot of people, they spent the last kind of, you know, five, 10 years thinking that they were the only one. It was just a one-off experience, whereas now they see, oh, so we've all been, you know, abused by this place. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a whole lot. I still can't believe all of this happened. <laughs> and I had not get here. <laughs> it's crazy. It's it's fantastic to hear that. Um, You know, it's it's great that, that work that you're doing. And, you know, it's not the only um, case. The You know, the Charity Commission are... Um, how can we put it? They they they're not really doing their due diligence in checking what a lot of these registered charities are actually doing. I completely agree. And these are not the only groups. You know, there there needs to be some recognition that just by claiming to be a religion, or even just by being a religion, doesn't mean that you can get away with anything. It doesn't give you a blank check. Exactly. To, to treat people this way and, and, and that's what these organizations are doing and that's kind yeah. of the the end result of this movement you know at the basis of it it's about faith abuse it's about mm. calling it what it is this is faith abuse it's spiritual abuse if you want to call it that mm. you know they are using religion to abuse people you know at what point i get that you know there's religious freedom absolutely people should be free to believe in whatever they want you know but at what cost at what line do we draw you know to what extent and that's what i'm trying to get the police to understand that's what i'm trying to get social services to understand that these places that's hiding behind religion, they're doing a lot of harm and they need to be held to account. Uh, My saying within the movement is um, accountability is not persecution. You know, absolutely. (laughs) This is not persecution. They are not being persecuted. They are being held to account. Absolutely. Mm Yeah, that's that's such a brilliant. Um, it is a brilliant statement. line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that is, is absolutely. And now you're right because it is the first thing that they shout. You know, there is yeah. persecution, um, uh, right to belief, and and so on. And mm. you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. That that is irrelevant. You know, there's things that if these groups um, tidied up their act, then there would not be a problem. I have no problem with people believing all sorts of things that I personally think um is a bit ridiculous but you know that's fine if people want to believe these things that's absolutely fine but it's the way that they treat people is the thing that needs to change exactly that's the issue and i think that's what lawmakers and decision makers Mm. need to start taking into account i think in essence they need to start growing a pair you know they're really scared to deal with anything in regards to places of worship or religion they're like nope yeah. i don't want to go there you know they're literally yeah. terrified because they don't want to be accused of yeah. having any kind of bias but until they do that 
you know, this issue is going to keep on going. Mm. I mean, for goodness sake, what more are they allowing to happen? You know, mm. this place is clearly doing a lot of bad things. Mm. If they didn't hide under the umbrella of religion, they would have pretty much have been dealt with a long time ago, surely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But because, you know, it's a place of worship, it's religious, you know, they apparently, as you said, get a blank check. You know, look the other way. Their religion, you know, religion is going to do what religion is going to do. Like, no. <laughs> no, yeah. no, exactly. Because, right. yeah, when I just think about all the um, compliance laws and things that businesses just generally have to follow, it's yeah. um, it's just incredible how far awry it's just gone. You know what I mean? Like, why are basic things like people dealing with children in these church groups not being checked, for instance? You know, you'd exactly. never be able to get positions like this like paid for roles in businesses where you're with, like dealing with children um, without being dbs checked right but when you're a religious group or one of these groups they just um you know that's just not happening and then yes yeah, when we end up in these like dangerous situations um, so yeah fantastic work that you're doing <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've got a long way to go. I mean, the goal is to first of all deal with the UCKG mm. and to make an example out of them, and then you know to branch it out and open it to other places mm. who is doing the same thing. Because I think the UCKG is pretty much the blueprint of how to <laughs> use religion to become a billionaire and to gain control over the masses. So I think they're a really good example to be made of. Mm-hmm. And I think the UK government and I think the, the police and, of course, the charity commissioner, they can really benefit of taking notice and kind of putting a line in the sand and saying, OK, this is what we won't tolerate. You know, that's the precedent, because currently speaking, there's no legal precedent. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why the police, uh, they've spoken to multiple survivors who have horrific stories of conversion therapy um being coerced and basically being emotionally abused and the police are constantly turning around and saying look there's no precedent here i don't think we're going to get a conviction nothing we can do you know it's really helpless Mm. uh well well you're certainly doing um your bit um as it were we we really appreciate that Mm. thank you so much um for for that and thanks so much for coming on the podcast rachel i've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it (laughs) thank you so much thank you for having me i really appreciate it guys brilliant okay well we'll um as i said um send us stuff um we'll, we'll put the links up there <laughs> yeah the show notes will be packed full of um links and also the guardian podcast um we're, we're happy to promote other people's podcasts on on our show um and it's um <laughs> thank you it's a favorite of mine actually the guardian um today in focus um i generally listen to it every morning and that is a particularly good one so we'll put the link to that mm-hmm. that episode up there and um, i know you've done a, a few other things as well so we'll we'll direct people to you but uh, for now rachel thank you so much for being with us uh, today oh, thank you so much take care guys <laughs>